Hello and welcome to the Research Connections podcast, the show that brings current expertise and cutting-edge research and connects it with users in the community. Hi everyone, welcome again. We are here today with Dr. Alicia Farrell and Reverend Daryl McCauley again. We had an episode with them not too long ago on leadership and conflict. And today we're talking with them about the topic of leadership and mental health. I'm really looking forward to our conversation and let's just get right into it. There was this really interesting conversation I had with a school administrator. This is a number of years ago. And he recounted to me a number of incidents that had happened in his school that he considered to be violent. Some of them minor transgressions, he said, and then there was one major one which really threw him. And as we talked, the thing that became most uncomfortable to him in our conversation was this idea that his pulse didn't quicken anymore when he showed mm-hmm. up at the scene in these difficult circumstances. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that, and he, he wondered out loud if those feelings had gone away somehow. And then we also thought about this idea of, like, if they're still in there somewhere, what happens when they get leaky, when they, <laughs> when they start to leak out? And I find that, like, with every experience you have, you're changed by the experience, and the experience changes you. So if leaders are called to respond to some of the most difficult challenges in their organizations, what does that do to them? What does leading mm-hmm. them do to leaders? You know, I was thinking back over... 26 years of kind of giving leadership in the church organization. And, you know, I get to, a chance to walk into people's delightful, exciting experiences, but also some of their darkest moments. Mm-hmm. And and the dark ones are the ones that probably always found the, the most difficult, as any leader. I mean, nobody goes into leadership so they can deal with problems. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they want to, I mean, I guess, deal with problems in the sense of moving things forward. But, you know, there was a season, I know for me, where it was like, tragedy after tragedy after tragedy, brokenness and hurt and and um, sitting with families who'd lost loved ones through horrendous crisis. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was about five or six in a row. And I remember sitting down with uh, this young widow. Her husband had just been tragically killed. They were expecting their first child. I mean, it was just very, very tragic. And I remember sitting there looking at her and I, I, I had to say to myself, how do I position my face in a way that it looks like I care? because I didn't have the capacity to care anymore. And I remember it was at that point where I said, I got to do something different. Like I, I got to figure out a better way to, to kind of pull away from that experience. So I, I did. I, I took about a three-year process to kind of probably heal from that whole experience, but it did take time. It wasn't just like you, you, you turn this stuff on and off. I mean, I didn't become a pastor so that I could could sit in rooms with with widows and say, how do I make it look like I care? I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that, that's not it. But, but the effects of leadership you know, the, the toll of it. And, and maybe you're, you're doing that here is, is sort of t- training leaders. Like, how do you, how do you face those, those dark moments of your soul? Because if you can't figure that out, mm-hmm. leadership is going to, is going to finish you off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do we, um, in, in what you're saying is sort of, um, the question comes to my mind, like, how do we bear witness to another person's pain without being wholly determined by it? Yeah. And <laughs> I don't have, I don't have that. <laughs> I don't have that answer. But I think that's a question that keeps me up at night, and I think keeps other, you know, current and aspiring leaders up up at night too. So how do we truly bear witness? Really listen to what someone's trying to share with us without being determined by it, because we yeah. are called as leaders in that moment to be emotionally composed. But um, <laughs> yeah, like it's not okay in that moment to 
fall apart equally. Uh, you know, like there's <laughs> that's also not sort of what's called for either. Would yeah. you agree? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you do it all the time. You got to walk in, and, and and I always I think of that image. Once somebody told me once that you feel like a duck on a pond. I mean, you look calm on the surface, but underneath you're you're paddling mm-hmm. like crazy. And when you walk into a situation where you got to lead, you know, people need to feel confidence. We we need to. To, to have that composure because people need to feel that mm-hmm. that somebody's in charge. You know, you do it enough and, and, and you do learn, obviously, some skills. I've often thought of, you know, one of the best leadership principles is just in those kinds of moments, you just, you, you pick yourself up, you dust yourself off, and you take another step forward. Mm-hmm. You know, the, each of these experiences you, you learn from. And so I think that's probably one of the things when I think back over 26 years of, of leading in organizations, often I didn't know what I was doing, but I just, I got up and I did it. And then you'd learn the, the, the necessary skills to do it the next time and hopefully do it with more mm. confidence. Yeah. I wonder, I've been thinking about this idea of, because I often get asked, so if you pay so much attention, Alicia, to the, the emotional loudness of, of leadership, then what is it to you? So if it's not the pro- if it's not solely the process of the functions, then what might it be? And I'm starting to understand leadership as a set of relations. And I think that where people are trying to get their needs met in the same place at the, at the same time. And to me, although leaders encounter very difficult situations with people, to me that idea of leadership actually as a set of relations is incredibly hopeful. Because I think what it means is that, you know, when we sit together we get we're making something together we're kind of creating this mm-hmm. third space we're co-creating it so although a leader is called to be a person who can listen to the difficulty can help people move forward together i think there's less onus on the leader than we typically admit you know so if it's if it's yep. up to us to make something together out of whatever this encounter is then the, i i don't give up my responsibility for that as the leader but I, I think I also become a better leader in that moment, right? Yeah. If I'm, if I can listen long enough to someone, um, to really hear what they're saying and, and and what they're trying to teach me about their lives and what's going on, then there's a hope of us coming together to make something beautiful. I think together or more beautiful together in that moment. So, if we see it as a set of relationships, not as a doer done to relationship, yeah. I think there's some agency and some hope that opens up in that type of encounter. So for leaders who are in this space over long periods of time, when they have to be the one that's strong or the one that's not expressing all of their emotions in those moments, how do they still attend to those emotions that are there, but can't always be expressed? And then that situation is done and you've moved on to the next and then moved on to the next over over the long haul. I'm curious about what that cost might be or how can... How can leaders still attend to what's going on and meet their own emotional needs or mental health needs as they go? I try and tell myself that I'm not as important as I like to think I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and that sometimes I put too high of expectations on myself. Mm. And so I think that, you know, the organization's going to fall apart if I take a day off or a week off or a mm-hmm. month off. And that's just not true. You know, and especially when you build teams around you, you, you realize that you're not as important as you sometimes like to think you are. Because, and this goes back to, you know, some of the leadership principles I learned go back to my tree planting days. I led a group of <laughs> tree planters and it's like raw leadership. I mean, this is basic leadership stuff. And, you know, some of the, the things that we found 
that I found even there as I was leading a group of, of tree planters is that we all work better when we're rested. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. we just learned this principle that if you work six days and take one off, you actually make more money than if you work 10 in a row mm-hmm. or 14. And so, you know, what am I building into my my day? What am I building into my week, my month, my quarter, my year? Like, what are the rhythms that I'm sort of implementing that help me revive my my soul? Because mm-hmm. leadership, I mean, it, it, there's a cost to the soul. Mm-hmm. And especially in, well, in any any organization, I see it, you know, I'm in the church world, so I see the costs. And, and you know, there's a lot of um, burnout mental health. Mm-hmm. You know, I've experienced it myself. You know, I, I, I spoke last February to our congregation for a month on our Sundays. We just talked about mental health. Well, I've never had so much response. People were saying, oh, yeah, like, mm-hmm. you mean you struggle with that? Yeah, of course. Like, you know, th- there's a cost to this stuff. So what am I doing to, to stay mentally healthy? What are the mm-hmm. things that bring me light? So I'm going to push a little bit. So yeah. what are you doing? Um, <laughs> there, there's certain things that I do that I don't think about any problems. Like it doesn't matter how many problems I have. There's a few, few things that I can do that my brain, it just takes a break. I go snowmobiling. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a Wheat Kings fan. Mm-hmm. I'm hardly a sports fan, but I, I'm into the Wheat Kings. I just <laughs> love going to the Wheat Kings. So I'm there cheering them on and, mm-hmm. and I'll go to a two and a half hour game and I'll go there maybe thinking of all these problems and I'll come away going, I didn't think about them like mm-hmm. the whole two and a half hours. Well, that's got to be I'm assuming, I don't, I don't know much about brain development, but I'm assuming that's good for my brain. <laughs> you know, so there's there's things like that. Hiking, you know, nature, realizing mm-hmm. that more and more that just if I can be outside just a little mm-hmm. bit. I love working in the garage with my hands. I love working on cars, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So so there are a number of those things that, that I, I like to kind of pull away from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. How about you, Alicia? I think for me, one of the things that gives me joy is... I'm a very mediocre photographer, but I (laughs) love it. And so when I have my camera in my hands, I find a little, I do find a little piece of heaven on earth. And it also gets me outside noticing things Mm -hmm. that, that I wouldn't normally notice when I'm locked, when I've locked myself away in my office. I kind of come from the Tom Waits, the singer songwriter school of thought that, you know, he said once, um, I think it was attributed to him anyway, that, uh, I like beautiful melodies telling me terrible things. So uh, I like to write and make art that is in that vein. And that allows me to let go of some things that are, that, you know, sometimes break your heart. And, but I can do it in that way. And also when you make something, it allows other people to, to come to it, to read, to read it, look at it, mess around with it in terms of their own lived experiences and, and share something with you, even if you're not in the room with them. So that's one thing that keeps me going. I think in terms of like just taking a space, uh, I think that's really important. One of the things that I've been thinking about as you've been talking is more about over time, understanding our identity through each one of those events, how and whether or not that changes my understanding of myself as a leader. Because I think retrospectively, I make sense of all of my hard encounters over and over and over again to the point that I'm tired of playing the event Mm -hmm. over in my mind. Mm -hmm. And do you think that changes you? Do you think that changes who you are or who you see yourself as? Yeah, I think leadership does contour our identity. It shapes us. And so, yeah, like we are changed by the experience and the experience changes us. I think to think otherwise would be foolish. I think that 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 is just part of that work. And so I, I wonder about this idea of going back. You know, it made me think about, the, about what it means to go back 
and experience the same event over and over again in our memory. And there's mm-hmm. part of me that thinks about that and uh, thinks, oh, that's it's difficult to, to, and we all have those memories where we relive them all the time. But if we, if we were to sort of take those memories and string them along, if we could, in front of us, we would see how those memories have evolved over time. Mm-hmm. Maybe we've become more of or less of a hero in that memory <laughs> or more of a villain or less yeah. of a villain. Yeah. But to me, that's also incredibly hopeful. You know, sometimes I think of myself as a little theory storm cloud. But, but I think that idea, that premise that as leaders, we can go back and mine those memories for new learning. I think that's incredibly hopeful, right? Mm -hmm. So once we learn something about ourselves, and it it might be that we've just identified a new area we should work on, but we can go back to that memory and say, at that time and in that place, I did the best I could. I made a choice for the right reasons at the right time for the right, you know. And if we can go back there and say, yeah, but when I did X, it went off the rails a little bit but I've learned something since then. And so I can see that I'm in process and I'm becoming like, I'm always under construction. And if people are willing to be in that headspace, that uh, like Maya Angelou says, when I, when I knew better, I did better, right? Mm-hmm. So when you knew better, you did better. And if you can point to that, if you can point, you know, with your, to yourself and, and, and help other people learn that about themselves, when you know better, you do better. That I think is incredibly hopeful. I I love that. When I knew better, I did better. Uh, Thank you so much, Alicia and Daryl and Jackie. And uh, our time is winding down, but I just wanted to say thank you so much. This has been a really great conversation and hopefully we can do this again sometime. Thank you for listening to the Research Connections podcast. You can visit our website for links to everything that was mentioned in the episode and for more Research Connections content at www.brandonu.ca slash bu-cares. Be sure to rate and subscribe so you can stay up to date with current research that impacts your community. Thank you.